You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. We're taking a short break while we prepare for the next season of the podcast. And so are using the opportunity to revisit some of our favorite interviews this week is one of my personal favorites, Brenda Fries. Brenda is a great example of a calm but also inspiring leader, and I hope you find her just as compelling as we did. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett and you are listening to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is American women's basketball coach, Brenda Fries. Brenda began her coaching career while still a player at the University of Arizona. When she was out injured, she volunteered as an assistant coach at Pima Community College and became hooked. After graduation in 1994, she started as an assistant coach at Kent State. Then, in 1999, she was appointed into her first head coach role at Ball State, and then in 2002 to the University of Maryland. Her success with Maryland places her in the elite levels of women's basketball, the highlights of which have been a 2006 NCAA championship, the 2009 and 2012 ACC championships, a Big Ten championship in 2015, four Big Ten Coach of the Year awards, National Coach of the Year Awards in 2021, 2013 and 2002 and a winning percentage of 78 at the end of the 2021 season. Brenda is the type of calm, spirited leader who can see a clear path forward when the anxiety within the team is at its apex. 
she is able to regulate her emotions and respond in such a way that it matches the moment and helps to build self-confidence and belief in others. She demands a lot from her athletes and support team, but you have the impression that she gives a lot more than she gets. There are many key parts in this interview that resonated with me, but some of the key points that stayed with me afterwards were her view that great coaches are able to connect with people in a way that makes the person feel they are worth a million dollars. Her view that women in leadership positions need to move beyond being grateful and lead the change they want to see. And her focus on positivity and bringing confident energy into practices in game day. As she believes, this enables you to produce the best performance that you are capable of. This is a wonderful conversation with a great leader, and I hope you enjoyed as much as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Brenda Fries, good evening. And welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I was excited to, to be able to come on today. We're very excited to talk a little bit of basketball with you. And we're going to get into your long and storied career in this little interview. But perhaps if I could start with something really easy, Brenda, where are you in the world today? And what have you been up to so far? Given now that we're kind of moving through COVID and the pandemic that we all just came out of, and I think learned so many things and lessons, now we are kind of full blown into reality of what it's like to be the head coach at the University of Maryland. Things have opened back up. So we've done a lot of visits on campus, bringing recruits in. And most recently, July is a massive recruiting month. So I just came off of eight days and four or five different states. It's nice to be back in my own bed and know where I'm at, but been able to finally see all these players that we've spent over a year plus watching online and and the internet. So it's really great to be able to be back in person securing all this great talent that's out there. Might talk a little bit later on about how you judge talent, but for now, I'd like to just go back a little bit and talk about at least two great coaches that I know you've had exposure to. There's Bill Fennelly and there's Gary Williams, and I'm sure there's many, many others that I wasn't able to research. But Brenda, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently that sets them apart from the rest? I think, and I try to model it myself, but when I view it, I think it's just those coaches with relationships. They know how to connect with people, make them feel like worth a million dollars, who they are, their personality. But I really feel just that connection that you have in your day-to-day with the people that you're surrounded with, with the people that you're recruiting within your university is a huge piece to leadership. Brenda, you became the head coach of Minnesota in 2001, and the team experience is one of the biggest NCAA turnarounds in history. You go from 8 and 20 to 22 and 8. And this, of course, led to you being named Coach of the Year but by the US Basketball Writers Association. But something else interesting happened that year. You also started playing your games in the same stadium as when the men's team was playing. And so I imagine that this must have been very satisfying for you. So I wanted to just flip that around a little bit and ask, what are the other gender biases that you would really like to tackle as leader of a team in one of the big universities in America? Well, it was ironic how that all went down at the U because we were playing in the sports pavilion at the time where women's basketball and volleyball played. And then there was a massive leak that happened 
And we came off of beating the University of Wisconsin, who was ranked number three in the country. And we came back in and had to play all our games at the barn and walked into 15,000 fans that filled up the arena. So they never looked back. I mean, it was just by accident that they were able to move over in that facility. So I feel pretty grateful that I was the coach there to be able to kind of witness that and and watch that. But I think so many things have come out in the forefront. Most recently, when you talk about the NCAA tournament and you saw a lot of the differences that were taking place between the NCAAs for the men in Indianapolis and then living it in San Antonio. Sometimes you think we're in 2021 one and we continue to watch how it's it's so different and unequal for the men versus the women but there's a lot more that we need to tackle uh, you look at what's going on right now with Becky Hammond and trying to be the first women's NBA coach and she's now getting the interviews but no one's yet quite ready to make that next move you can look at the differences in salaries you can look at i mean the list could go on and on and i think we've gotten to a point as women where it, Before, it used to be because we were just grateful, grateful to have so many great things, to be in this profession. We're not wanting to make a lot of noise, but I think it's finally gotten to a point where I think women are starting to understand in the positions that we hold that it's important to kind of lead our charge and our fight for all the differences that are going on to kind of bring that awareness to to try to get it more uneven. So, Brenda, you have a great run at Minnesota, and in 2002... Debbie Yao brings you to Maryland. And when she announced it, she says, and that's a great saying, I'm going to read the quote back to you if I can. She says, there's an old Southern saying that describes why we targeted Brenda, which goes like this. If a dog is going to bite you, they'll bite you as a pup. Now, I wanted to ask, was there a person or event that triggered this desire in you to be a coach who could bite as a pup? My parents raised, there were six of us children in the home. So obviously an extremely competitive home front. We competed to be able to eat at the dinner table. I remember my brother taking more slices of pizza, eating them as fast as he could before it was all gone. So competitiveness, that work ethic. My parents now are 89 and 81 years young and still to this day working. It's their passion every single day. But I just think we kind of had it early. You know, we were fortunate to have two parents that really supported us and molded us. And as a female, it was okay to be confident and aggressive, competitive, put us in a lot of sports, maybe to keep us busy while while they worked their jobs that they had. But it was always something that was embraced, was doing things, excelling, doing it at the highest level. There's a lot of research that says teenage girls drop out of sport because of the aggressiveness and the competitiveness. They find that difficult. How do you talk about those traits with young women when you go to coaching programs and come across them? I definitely build up. I'm a coach that is really positive. I embrace being confident. I I try to model it each and every day. But when you walk into our practices or you're at a game, for me, it's all about instilling positive, confident energy. And our players know if they hang their head on a play or I see them losing confidence, it's going to be a motivational way or a conversation to really instill as much confidence as I possibly can. I really believe between the years, you have to have that right before anything else, because you can be this talented player out on the court and be able to do all kinds of things. But if mentally your confidence isn't there, you're not going to be able to produce what you're capable of doing. I love that component for me. 
me. It's who I am. It's what I'm about. And I love being able to help young women as they're kind of in those impressionable years coming through college. And then the, the next step of real life is getting them in positions that they're the most confident woman walking out of the University of Maryland when they leave our program. Brenda, in the wonderful book you co-authored about your 2006 NCAA title, it's called Overtime is Our Time. And you talk about the championship game, but what I found really interesting reading it was actually the six overtime games you won on the road to that game. And you won that game in overtime as well. It's quite unusual. And I was watching the Euro 2020 game last week and it was penalty shootout. And I was thinking again to this analogy between winning consistently in overtime. So my question is, what did you learn from that pressure cooker environment that year that has stayed with you now as a coach? I think most people will see when we're in really close games, overtime games that you're talking about is I actually get calmer, even more confident where some people flip the other way, right? The anxiousness and anxiety takes over and then you coach in in a different way. But I think when you've had that kind of experience, I mean, no question when you look at that team, one of our players tabbed it after our second overtime was like, overtime is our time. And it's ironic then that we would go on to have six and your national championship game. We knew we were going to win with that kind of confidence that we had in overtime. We embraced it. We loved it. It kind of goes to show you the psyche of those players that season. Why did they win a national championship? Because they just had a mentality that they were wired and built for really pressure cooker type of moments. And so I do, I think mentally you can wire yourselves in different ways when you're faced with adversity or an intense moment. And I think it's really important to, I enjoy it. I get calmer. I'm confident in those moments and just want to help our team be the very best. You talk a lot about actually the perils of a negative culture and unacceptable standards, but I'd like to flip that around actually and ask you, what are the trademarks of a great team culture? I think at first you have to have the trust within your team. And I think the leadership model, your players have to feel that trust. They have to see that trust all the way from the top down, because I do think it's modeled and your players are able to see. I mean, when you walk into our program, you're going to see staff that is together and a family oriented staff that really enjoys working with each other. And I think with that trust comes that sisterhood. If you looked at our team, there's a bond that our players have that can't be broken. And that's because of the trust that they've built. That's because of the time that they've spent together. It's really, really important. A program like Maryland, consistent top 10 program. I mean, obviously the players that come in here are high level, very motivated, love to work. I think if you come into this program and that's not what you're about, you'll be exposed. You're going to feel that difference of players that are just really hungry, really competitive, enjoy getting in there and being able to work. So I think those are important qualities when you talk about having that trust with each other, having that work ethic that you'll go to bat for each other because of what's layered within each of your players within your program. Brenda, trust has to be earned. So how do you go about building it quickly and coherently in a team, whether you've got players coming in and out every year? That's probably the hardest element when you talk about, for us, the game now has changed so much when you talk about we have the transfer portal 
And uh, players now, they're not happy. They're not playing. They can leave, don't have to sit out. So your team, the makeup is different every single year, whether players are coming in or coming out. I could take this last year as an example. We lost five starters. We had graduation. We had some players that left and we brought in new players between the transfer portal and incoming freshmen. It was one of the most rewarding years ever. We were seven, 28 and three and have so many pieces. But I think the trust is it's an everyday consistent pattern. I I always share like who you are as a person is a reflection of every single day of how you behave with your professors, how you behave in practice. Do you come to practice early? Do you stay late to work on your game? And I think that's no different when you talk about a coaching staff, those interactions that you get every single day, whether that's face-to-face, whether that's sending a text message, having those conversations within a season when you're working through where a player might be at that point in the season. So I think it's just a daily, constant, consistent pattern that they know they can trust you and you can trust them just with the conversations that you've been able to have to build that trust. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Brenda, I was preparing for today by researching and reading and really immersing myself in in your backstory. But the theme that comes up consistently is your ability to build self-belief in others. And I actually found a nice quote from Laura Harper, one of your ex-players, that I think sums this up really well. She says, Coach B believes in us way more than we believe in ourselves. And so my question was, how would you help someone's self-belief grow without becoming overly positive or just a cheerleader? Yeah. Again, I think there's different ways. And like we've been talking about is that that trust level is so key. But when you go back to personal relationships, it's the day-to-day conversations that you're having with a player. When I get to mold them, I'm an extension from their parents and their family. I feel like I have the greatest time of development when they hand their child off to us from 18 to 23, which is like very formative molding years for them in college to then get prepared for what lies ahead in adulthood. And so for me, it's continuing to have those conversations of what it looks like, what I see, what I believe, having a player in my office and showing them film. I've done film work where it's, I'll show them their game. I'll show them another player that similar in the WNBA or another college player taking clips where you can kind of give them the forward thinking. But that starts way back, even in the recruiting process, kind of where they're at to where you see the big picture of their career and things that you can help them become. Um, But you're 100% right of like, it pains me if there's a female that doesn't have confidence because 
the only person that can take confidence away from you is if you give permission to yourself to take it away. And regardless if someone says anything, people have their opinions, who you are, what you are. So for me, it's just continuing to build that level of confidence with each and and every one of our players to be the very best. I have a a player right now that has the sweetest soul. I mean, beyond anything But she says, I'm sorry, probably every other sentence. And it's something that I've shared with her. You get three sorries a week because it is, it's continuing to build that self-confidence. And part of that is because she's such a pure human being and doesn't want to mess anything up. But then part of that is a confidence level that she needs to be secure and know that she can accomplish anything in life. Rendra, I have another great quote from you, actually, if I could play it back to you. When you get everyone to buy into your belief system, and be on the same page, there's no better reward for a coach. So I'd like to ask you, what are the core beliefs of your coaching philosophy? Gosh, (laughs) when I have to sit and and put it now to words, I think passion is huge. If you're not going to get up every day and and be excited about tackling the day, and, and I think anyone who knows me knows that I love my job and I love the fact that I get to coach and mentor between my staff and, and my players you can feel and see that passion every single day. Family is huge. Anyone who knows me and and how we run our program, a lot of people talk about family, but for me, we live it. My program is an extension of my immediate family in Iowa, my current family at home in Maryland, but everything we do is going to be to look out for each other, to have a great experience. They only get one college career in their time. So I want it to be the best experience uh, that they can possibly have. And then I think my parents instilled a really high level core value of work ethic and integrity. Work ethic, can't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and put your time in. And when you do some pretty special things pay off. I mean, I'm a ferocious recruiter. I love to recruit and be able to find the right pieces. I've had Numerous coaches talk about my work ethic in the gym and and how I'll stay for the last game at night or be at the first game in the morning. I'm uh, super, super competitive when you talk about the X's and O's and getting on the court and bringing the the talent that we have and matching it up against the competition that we face. Work ethic is really important. And I was raised with a strong background, Catholic family. So the integrity piece has been something that's been instilled all the way up. And I trust people unless they take that trust away from me, the integrity piece of doing right by people, doing right every single day within everything that you're you're handling and juggling. I would think those would be some of the core pieces, core values that I w- would say we emulate in our program. Well, talking about your family, actually, when you were growing up, you said that in your house, nobody stayed mad at each other, even after arguments. You talk about it quite a lot, actually. And I wondered, how does this learning of yours, this upbringing around not staying mad, translate into the way that you might handle negative influences within the team? And if there's any correlation there? Yeah, 100%. I never really thought of it until you said that. You know, my dad used to always instill, and I've watched my parents over 62 plus years of marriage, that he always gave, like, never go to sleep mad, even in your arguments that you might have, which you can imagine with five other siblings and different personalities, is just always to stay connected as a family. That's the core of who you have. And we've been able to do that. But I think 
when you talk about coaching, when I reflect back, when something happens, which is going to happen when, when you, you're juggling a team and a family yourself, if a situation happens, I usually sleep on it. I'll give myself that night. It's amazing when you wake up the next day, how much clearer you are and the emotions are taken out of it. And those decisions are greater. We always close every game in the locker room, but after a tough loss, it's going to be a short speech because I don't want to regret anything that I've said or done within that time because emotions are are high. So those have really helped me through the years when distancing time and space. But then I think as a family, you do come back to if there's an internal conflict or there's something within your team that needs to be managed, I'm not going to just sleep on it for a day and then not address it. It's going to get addressed the next day where a family will come together within those meetings or the conversations or what needs to happen will definitely be taken care of where as a family that you're able to address and and be able to move on. That's a great, great answer, Brenda. Thank you for sharing it. I was looking at your coaching style and I was, there's plenty of people dissecting it or talking about it, (laughs) trying to analyze it. I guess that's part and parcel of being a a great coach, right? But one of the things that comes through is that in your training, you seem to take a a proactive approach at teaching people to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. It seems to be a core part of your coaching. So I'm wondering, it's a key issue for everybody, dealing with being uncomfortable and not running away from it, embracing it. Is there one or two things you think all of us could be doing to get better at handling discomfort? Yeah. Well, I think, again, when I say it, it starts at the top and I just say this as a a mother of twins is I, I think we've taken away as parents, just the resiliency factor of it's okay for your kid to fail. It's okay for them to experience hard things. I think sometimes we've gotten to a point that we just don't want to see our kids hurt or be in pain. And I think those are some of the the toughest moments where you're able to establish that resiliency within your child. I think when you think of a team, sometimes I can point to a moment in a season each and every year where there's a defining moment that moves your team along a path. More times is, is for the good. Sometimes it, it changes the path, but those moments are crucial. Sometimes after a really tough loss, you'll learn about your team to be able to fix it and change it. The growth that comes out of it really allows your team to become a lot more resilient. So in practices, we're trying to kind of build those moments all the time. We want those practices to be hard and as uncomfortable as possible. We want them to understand that games are, are going to be you know, different and uncomfortable and, and we want to embrace it because that fight is what makes it so worth it. But just understanding, like I've said, and you just said it, you know, embracing it, be mantras, be comfortable, being uncomfortable. And you're going to be that in every walk of your life. When you graduate, from the University of Maryland and go into that next chapter, you're going to be pretty uncomfortable for for a while until you get to that point in your career and that you're going to then take another step in your career or make a move. When I came to Maryland, I did three moves in four years from Ball State to Minnesota to Maryland. And I was like, I can't wait till I can settle down into to one place, which Maryland is home going into my 20th season. But to think in those moves, it was very uncomfortable. It was very hard, but also made me appreciate and, and made me a lot tougher to understand each and every move, just uh, what I needed to do. Brendy, you said something fascinating there. You talked about every season, there's a moment, an infliction point. Would you feel comfortable just sharing the story of one of those infliction points, what happened and how you managed it? Yeah, it was actually, it was either 2014 or 15, because that was one of the, we went back to back final fours. And I believe it was 2014. 
And we had just lost in the ACC tournament in the quarterfinal rounds. It was an early loss. We had a team that was really, really talented. It shouldn't have been an early loss for us. So we had to make a decision whether the week between leading up to the NCAA tournament, whether we were going to make that just like our normal practice week, or it was just going to be a really tough week, reminding them of the standard that we've held and where they should be. That loss and and that moment coming back in that week was a really defining moment for that team to understand what we saw in them and what we believed in them. And ultimately, they ended up going to a Final Four that year and being able to to push through something that was really tough in in the ACC tournament to making it to a Final Four that year. Brenda, you've got two sons. I think their names are Marcus and Tyler, if I've got it correct. They're teenagers now. So lots of people listening out there that have also got uh, teenagers. (laughs) Sometime in the future, probably not that far away, actually, they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you for some leadership advice. Um, They may not say, mum, have you got leadership advice? But they're going to ask for advice about taking on a group role or stepping up and embracing more responsibility or indeed accountability. And I'm just wondering, what would be the top one or two things you'd say to them? I think two things come to mind. First, give you an example coming off the road. And I think I I try to live it daily with my boys. I give them different things that have happened within our team, different things I see and feel, and that's ongoing. I came off the road and one of my sons shared with me how his best friend kind of moving apart because his best friend got involved. They were out in a situation and, and he got involved with two other boys and kind of started picking a fight and my son pulled him back and you know, he said, he told his friend, no, if I want to stay friends with you, if this is who you're going to be, because this isn't who I am. And we had this conversation when, you know, literally when they picked me up at the airport, he was sharing the story with me. And I was so proud because it's just shared with me, like he's been listening. Like those are what we're talking about in your teenager years of following or being a leader and knowing right from wrong. And we've had two conversations out of it. And I mean, that's the thing. I hope that I've been modeling it and doing enough so they understand. And I think that's the biggest thing is when you have those conversations, my boys know, like knowing the difference from right and wrong, you've got to be, you can't just be a follower, like in your heart, if you know right from wrong, you don't just sit back and, and watch it. As a leader, you step out and you're uncomfortable and you make sure that people know the difference from right or wrong. And if you can't change it, you walk away from it. You get out of the situation that you're involved in. But I think those are the biggest things that I try to instill with them is they're going to come across in these teenage years. There could be alcohol, there could be drugs, there could be naive enough to know you know what's going to go on. We've had a lot of conversations to anticipate so they're prepared for different things that, that lie ahead. But ultimately that in those moments that they're ready in their hearts to to make the right decisions. Brenda, you've been so generous with your time and I know you've got to go off to another function soon, but if I could finish with just one question. I know you've been there, you're into your 20th season, 21st I think coming up, (laughs) but you still got probably 30 years of coaching ahead of you. So in the distant, distant future, when you do retire and hang up that whistle, what's the legacy you'd like to leave behind you as a coach? I don't know if I think so much about legacy because for me, it's not about Brenda Freeze has has done all these things and won and got to this amount of wins. And that for me, that's not what it's about. That's not what's going to be on my tombstone. For me, it's just, I just hope like all these players and parents and coaches that you've been a part of just had a great experience that I was an influence in their life that I made an impact because all of that other, the winning and your success, it's a byproduct, in my opinion, of doing things 
there's a right way every single day um, and putting in that kind of work. But for me, it's kind of how I started. It's the relationships, it's the people, it's the memories you get to make. You spend so much time with your staff and recruiting players and bringing players and, and their parents into the program that I just really hope that they can come back and say, gosh, is the best four years, five years of my life when I reflect back of my college experience. Brenda, would you mind, mind if I challenged you on that? Absolutely. I mean, obviously we've never met before today, but I feel like I've been reading your story. And I think the example you just shared of your, about your son is a very good example. Actually, that and the other thing that got me thinking about it was uh, there's a story of you eating a hot dog once in the middle of a game or something like that. (laughs) Anyway, I think there's something about emotional regulation and I think what you're very good at is is managing your emotions and making sure that they fit, not perfectly, but very, very well with the situation. And I think that influences the people around you quite strongly and influenced your son anyway. And I think the the women and the men there in as also in your support staff i think they feel this and they see this from you when they regulate their emotions i think it helps their self-belief wow that's heavy i completely agree with what you're saying because i do think like i said every single day you give a snapshot of who you are people can feel that energy when you walk into a room i've never thought of it that way paul until you say it now (laughs) but it's pretty cool to think that way because again i think as role model is a female in this profession and when you look at my staff and they have aspirations to be a head coach or you look at your players someday they're going to move on and into different roles that you hope that they do see that. My thing is, I hope every single day you get the consistent pattern, the consistent snapshot of of who I am. I think that's really important that uh, they see and feel and they understand every single day what they're getting. Brenda, it's been such a privilege spending a little bit of time today talking about all things coaching and leadership. So thank you very much for your time and all the best for the next season ahead. Well, thank you so much. This was a, a lot of fun and I've enjoyed having the conversation with you. Hi everyone, it's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Brenda Freeze. Some of the key parts of the discussion for me were how you should focus on enjoying the intense moments when you're faced with adversity and using them to build confidence within the team. Her focus on building self-confidence in her athletes so that they feel like they can accomplish anything in life, and her values of passion, family, work ethic and integrity, and how she uses them to shape the team she leads and the story she shares about her son to illustrate how she hopes these values influence others. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight, and so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share so that we might all learn from it, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.